everyone. Really excited to have Anna Lorena Fabriga, aka Miss Fab, on the podcast today. She is an incredible individual who's really passionate about the future of education. I wrote about this a couple of months ago and have also worked for an ed tech startup. So I'm fairly passionate about this space. But Anna literally went from, you know, teaching in schools. I believe she taught in 10 different schools across seven countries as an elementary teacher in New York, Boston, Panama, you know, really passionate about this space, ended up taking the rite of passage course, a cohort or two after me. And then from there has really blew up on Twitter, really taking the world by storm, uh, really pushing her vision for the future of education. And so wanted to have her on the podcast. I think she has a really unique perspective and is actually taking it a step further and doing something about it, which is amazing. And then all this COVID stuff happened. And I think that if anything may have accelerated the pace and the need for something like this. And so with that, we'd love to let Anna introduce yourself and get started. Yeah, Susan, thank you for that introduction. It's great to be here. And yeah, so so it's like you said, I actually, I grew up around the world in seven different countries and I actually went myself to 10 different schools around the world. So I was the new girl in 10 different schools, which is kind of crazy. And then reflecting back on that and seeing how even though it was 10 schools in 10 different countries, it, it was in seven different countries, the, the experience was pretty much the same. And I then taught in, in different schools in New York, in Boston and in Panama. And then last year, I just it got to the point where I started questioning everything and seeing how so many things just were not matching up in terms of how we're doing things and how we have been doing things for the past 120 years. So I'm on a quest now. I'm diving into this like really challenging questions in education and trying to rethink the way that we teach and the experiences that we give children so that they're more empowered and they can take charge of their own learning and see how valuable it is. I feel like that has been really lost in school. So, so yeah, so that's what I'm doing now. Totally. And I think, you know, given that a lot of parents are homeschooling now just with COVID and are facing the challenges themselves, it's such an interesting time to be looking into this space. And so starting with that, I'm curious to learn more about your vision for the future of education overall. I think there's a lot of different alternatives out there. There's obviously the traditional system. There's online courses or education. There's obviously homeschooling. Do you see one channel becoming the predominant form or do you see all of them coexisting with each other? Like frame out that entire space the way you see it at least. Yeah, well... Unfortunately, I I don't think we're going to get rid of our traditional system anytime soon for several reasons. And I'm not going to get into that right now. But but so that's I mean, that's still going to to be there. And and although there are all these great alternatives that have been, you know, tried out and different experiments for for years now, none of them have become like mainstream enough in order to kind of like take down the system. But, but I do think that, for example, homeschooling is definitely taking off. And, and in, what's great about homeschooling is that you can go different ways. So it's not like, you know, you can, you can follow a curriculum or you can try to do, let's say, project-based learning, homeschooling type, or you can mix homeschooling with online learning. So you can really like pull and grab from different things that work depending on your child. And I think that parents especially now after COVID, they are starting to realize the kind of freedom and flexibility 
that children have when they are learning from home and when you've removed all these things that are in the conventional system that really remove the, the, the focus in learning. So given that, I do, and I, and I actually know this because I've been doing so much research on this, lots of parents are opting their kids out of school or just choosing that they're not going to be returning. And, and what's great is that there are lots of different entrepreneurs and startups that are making it really simple for parents to pursue this path, right? They're providing, like, for example, I was just reading about Primer. They're providing all the resources and making it a lot easier for parents to do homeschooling. So, so yeah, I, I believe that this is really going to take off. And I don't necessarily see one in particular. I know that there are lots of things like there's, you know, you have the Montessori schools, you have the Reggio Emilia, the Waldorf, you have the unschooling movement and you have the world schooling movement and you have like all these different things. And, and I feel like it really depends on what works best for the child, how open the parent is to see, to explore these different alternatives. And also, you know, the means, right? Like seeing if, if the parent can can actually afford to, to work from home or to homeschool their kids, because that's also a big barrier right now with all these great alternative paths to conventional schooling. Absolutely. I think if any, one of the things I've learned from COVID is, you know, Privilege is such a massive topic when it comes to education because even something like homeschooling, if your parents or the parents in the household can't work at home, right? It's mm-hmm. so much harder to homeschool, aka impossible, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's all these different barriers to making homeschooling a reality, right? And then, you know, especially homeschooling, you know, from a strong structural perspective, right? Like, you don't want to homeschool because you have to. You want to homeschool because you want to. And that in and of itself is a privilege. Same thing with online education. I think for all its you know benefits, one of its faults is that it's still online and there's still a good chunk of people who don't have regular access to the internet or can at least use a computer the entire day. Yep. So there's a lot of different barriers to that. And you know, I, I think that's it, in and of itself its own podcast if you will. Yeah. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to kind of figuring out what is the best option, right? you mentioned how, you know, figuring out what's best for the child, figuring out how do you like use the right blend of all three components or, you know, mm-hmm. several components. How do you, mm-hmm. how do you identify that? Like when you like work with a 10 year old child, I barely work with children, but you know, I I'd imagine that's a challenge, right? How do you actually figure out, you know, this child is probably better suited for the traditional system this child is better suited for homeschooling, or maybe there's a bit more nuance there. Right. So this is a very interesting question, and there's a lot to unpack there. What I've noticed is that I've been, I've been trying to explore this idea of learning and what, what learning means for children and how they learn best and how they don't learn. And I've realized that it comes to like four, four things that need to happen in order for children to learn, or, or the way that I've realized that they learn best. And all these different alternative paths that I've been talking about kind of touch up, like touch upon these four things that I'm going to talk about. So whenever a parent asks me like, well, Anna, like, you know, I I don't want for my kid to be in conventional schools anymore. Where should I look? What's the best option? Like you're asking right now. I say, well, as long as it, as you find an experience that your child is drawn to, and as long as it touches these four components, you're good. You know, like, I feel like these are the things. And the first one is any learning experience that starts with the kid's interests. You know, like in school, that's really not a priority because there's already a curriculum set in stone and, and this is what we're doing. And, and, and that's kind of like what dictates the learning. But really, 
I've noticed that in all the learning experiences where the main focus or the starting point is from the kid's interest, the entire experience is very different in, 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 a, in a positive way, right? Like you cannot overemphasize the importance of starting with the kid's interest because that's really what motivates them. That's what captures them. And that's what automatically makes things stick because they, they, they are curious, they want to learn more and they see how it's relevant, right? So that's, that's one thing that this alternative path that I mentioned earlier are doing really well, that they do take more into account the kids' interests. Then there's like what I call the J factor, which is the experience has to be enjoyable, like in some way, right? For kids to keep doing it. Because the whole idea or the whole point of education is for the kids to learn how to learn and then to keep doing it and want to keep doing it on their own. So it has to be enjoyable. And again, unfortunately, in conventional schools, that's not a priority. So if the kid is not enjoying the process, it's very unlikely that they're going to be paying attention and, and that anything's going to stick. So find something that the kid is actually drawn to and, and wants to, to do. And then all these experiences that, that is not just about consuming the information, but putting it to practice where the kids are actually doing something with that learning, right? So not just consuming, but also producing. And I'm very drawn into, for example, project-based learning because the kids are really like working through things and that's how they're learning. So I realized that kids are not really interested in learning. They're interested in doing. And the learning comes as a product of them doing different things. So that's the third thing, right? Like, like right. doing something with your learning, not just consuming and being passive consumers. And then the fourth one is all these learning experiences that I talked about at the beginning have kind of removed or they're not as focused in all these trivial things that that conventional schools do. Like, for example, the grades and the tests and the incentives, like the the prices and the homework, like all these things that really remove the focus on what really matters, which is learning, right? Learning for the pleasure of learning, learning so that you can move forward. So any experience to me that that touches upon those four things and that your kid is drawn to, then, then, then that's where you should go. That's kind of like the path that you should go to. And I feel like that's where you, you can make sure that you touch upon those things in homeschooling, in online learning, and all these different things that, that have the flexibility and the space for you to incorporate them. I don't know if that makes sense from what yeah, you're no, asking. Mm-hmm. That makes complete sense. And I think the way, or at least a, a follow-up question that I have is like, how much do parents have a role in nurturing these qualities within their children or like let's remove parents like adults in general right so the whole idea of doing the whole idea of even like learning from doing right Mm -hmm. and you know pursuing different interests like and having the opportunity to do that those are all key things that not every child has an opportunity to do right And, and so how do you how do you kind of nurture that over time like are there any particular tactics or anything that happens in the formative years, perhaps even earlier than the 10-year-old phase, where you're really just picking up and learning a bunch of different things and then helps translate into a stronger education for the child where they're able to do different stuff, learn different things, and, and you know, from an exponential basis, really kind of try out and succeed in whatever they want to do. Yeah. So the role of the educator and the role of the parent has changed a lot, right? And 
And the, the faster that people realize this and they change their chip, the, the better, right? So before the teacher or the parent would, would do the most, like the big chunk of the, of the teaching. And, and really by doing that, they're also doing the big chunk of the learning. And the kid was just kind of consuming and consuming and passive. Now that has been revert, like we need to revert those roles, right? Rather than transmitting information and teaching, you know, from a curriculum or anything, now it's about stepping back and helping kids identify like what questions or topics of interest they have or any problems that they want to solve. And then giving them the space to take those questions in whatever direction that they find relevant, right? And they're not going to do this on their own. Like they need your support. They need your guidance. But really, and, and I talk about this when I talk about like summer camp and what I've been doing with David, is that our role now is to create the conditions for invention, right? That's really the prior, like what, what educators and parents should be doing, right? Because the kids are going to be the ones directing and managing their learning. But our role is really to provide that space, which they usually don't have, provide the materials, and then give them the importance and be like, okay, so tell me about what you want to do and, and really like listen to them and, and send that message that, that although what they're doing right now is outside of school, it's learning and it's powerful and it's important. So really showing them and supporting the learning that happens outside of school and then creating those conditions and those spaces for them to work on or like dig deeper into the things that they're curious about, the things that they're interested in and what they want to build and give them those spaces. Because really, they kids rarely have time to do this in school because of all the things that have to be covered. So yeah. they're not having this experiences unless we give that give it to them so so that really is the new role of a teacher or of a parent like create those conditions and provide that support and the materials for for them to direct their own learning totally and then a big part of that or a big enabler of that is the internet right the mm -hmm. whole idea of becoming a digital citizen really participating in their internet and a lot of times this is becoming second nature if you think about TikTok, any other social media platform for children. However, if not utilized properly, it's not going to be done in a way that's super productive for most people. There's a, you know, obviously a select group who are, who are able to see the potential in this, see early success and really build on top of that. But there's a vast majority of children who don't know how to use this properly, who often end up being more spectators versus actual actors in kind of this digital realm that, you know, as a society, we've collectively built. How do you get kids, how do you get parents around this barrier of understanding what it means to be a digital citizen? And how do you get or train kids to become a digital citizen early on? Mm -hmm. So, so I, I like this question. And it's also a tricky question, right? I've been yeah. thinking a lot about this, because this concept of being a digital citizen I feel like, well, first it's fairly new, right? And and it's that kind of thing that you kind of have to experience the magic of it in order to understand how powerful this idea is. And, you know, I'm, I'm speaking for myself here, but really it wasn't until I took Rite of Passage and I became a citizen of the internet, you know, that I opened my website and I started publishing and I started realizing all the opportunities that are out there when you, when you enter this space that I realized like, wow, like we, everyone needs to become a citizen of the internet and, and kids need to start thinking about this because it's going to open so many doors. But at the same time, had you asked me this question two years ago when I still hadn't really explored this space, I was more of the, you know, I was under this impression like, 
kids are using too much technology and and how do we you know create that balance and and they're you know they're, we don't want for them to be stuck in you know devices all day and so and so but then i realized you know and many, many parents feel like this right they feel like their kids are addicted or detached or distracted because of their digital devices um devices but by limiting the use that like i don't feel like the the, the the best way to help them is by like limiting the user saying you know you can't use technology like we can't deny that technology offers this huge potential especially to younger generations and in this era of creators it's about like you said very well helping them use it correctly right and not only to consume but also to produce and the, you know they are already innate like they're 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 digital natives like they are drawn to technology and not only that but also they look around them and everyone around them is using technology all the time you know so i find it kind of ironic when parents are like you can't use this this is not good for you but then they are using the phone all the time in front of their kids or using the technology so so it's very clear that it has such a powerful kind of like it's really powerful tool it's a matter of teaching them and showing them and and modeling the appropriate use of technology right and yeah. and and not not like not in a way like not saying okay technology is the enemy but about teaching them okay this is how you use it you know we live in a world that's fueled by technology so so i think that i mean i've been reading this book it's called screen wise about helping kids thrive and survive in the digital world by Deborah Heitner, I think you pronounce her last name, and I and I I want to I, I want for more parents to read it because it offers a more optimistic perspective on how to guide kids in this digital age, and it kind of like makes parents recognize that the wisdom that they have gained throughout their lives, even if they're not like really tech savvy, is really relevant and urgently needed in order to supplement you know, or, or help their kids navigate this world. So, so it's about teaching them how to become responsible digital citizens and how to use the internet to produce and not only consume. And, and yeah, so, so this is something that I've been exploring a lot lately and, and trying to dismantle this like negative connotation around it, because really it's more powerful than what it is damaging. Right. Totally. And I think it's, you made a really important distinction where there's the consumption component, which is fairly known, fairly understood, um, mm -hmm. and very easy to do. I think companies are just built off of that because that's how you get consumers. Uh, but responsibly producing is such a more difficult, probably a lot harder to kind of cr create proper boundaries around. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great segue into summer camp and the work mm -hmm. you're doing with David. And yeah, I would love to, for you to kind of speak a bit more on that. Yeah. So I, again, after taking the, the course Rite of Passage, I, I was impressed with the dynamic and the lively environment that you can you can create in this synchronous online learning experiences, right? So I really wanted to bring something like this to children and, and have them experience, you know, the magic of, of online learning and, and the community of people pushing you the way that I experienced it in Rite of Passage. So we originally thought about creating a Rite of Passage course for kids where we would teach them writing through the similar methods that we learned in, in, in David's course. But then we realized, you know, we really what matters here it's this it's the online space with kids from all over the world and and everyone excited to create something and i wanted to incorporate more of a project based learning approach and this you know the design thinking process because again right of passage summer camp right now is to try out different ideas to see what works and we're testing all this um, hypotheses that we have about how children learn right so for this first time around we we again adopted this 
you know, idea of learning through making, through the design thinking process and in this virtual space. So we had kids from all over the world and it was incredible from Argentina, Panama, Brazil, Canada, the US, India, Pakistan. It was great. And what we do is they go um, from start to finish in a week um, on a project of their choosing. So they go through the design process of, you know, they come up with a problem that they're really interested in. And then the second day they identify and explore their interests and the things that they, they're really good at. And it's so interesting because when you talk about this with kids, sometimes they, 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 they don't even know because they haven't spent enough time talking or exploring what they like, which I find crazy. And then they come up with together, like they bounce off ideas to create a solution for their problem. And then the fourth day, they're building different prototypes. And then the last day, they present their solution. And it's just incredible. First, how their attitudes coming in the summer camp are very different from the way that they end because they're coming into this learning experience thinking, okay, this is probably going to be like school, right? Where my teacher tells me what yeah. to do. There's going to be a set of instructions and, and you know, I better do the right thing or else I'll get in trouble. And they suddenly enter this like virtual space where it's like, okay, what do you guys want to learn about? And what do you want to explore? What's a problem that bothers you and that you really want to solve? And, and at first, they're pretty skeptical. They're kind of like, like they're waiting for me to give them the answers. They're waiting for me to tell them what to do. They, they don't really buy into this idea that they can choose what they want to learn about until they realize, okay, really, like I'm, they're giving me the space and, and they're telling me, I'm going to help you. You tell me what you want to learn about and, and my teacher's here to help me and my friends are yeah. here to help me. So it's amazing the things that they can accomplish when we encourage them to dig deeper into this thing that mattered to them. So throughout the week, they came up with things like comic books and stop motion videos and this girl made like this game out of recycled materials. Others did YouTube videos to raise awareness about like animal cruelty and cooking tool prototypes. Like so many things came out of, of just one week of allowing kids to pursue their interests in a way that matters to them and, and solve things that are important to them. And, and, and we tried this idea of, you know, creating the, the space for invention. And, and it was just so powerful to see the things that they came up with and all the learning that was involved in, in, in making, even though I wasn't teaching anything explicitly. And I think that's like probably the most powerful thing here. Totally. And, you know, super inspiring as well. How did you actually go about creating the camp for children, even in the pilot? Like, how do you go about this? Because to me, Adult learning, at least, you know, just being an adult, fairly intuitive, but especially when you're doing something like this remote, it's hard enough to do when you're in person. How do you mm -hmm. facilitate this? Like, what is what does the actual construct look like? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like you said, like adults can sustain their attention for a lot longer and they don't really need, you know, someone like entertaining them full on um, in order to pay attention or to like stay motivated, right? And And also like adults are able to, kind of like they, they, they can think more long-term and they can see the benefits long-term of what they're learning or what they're doing. With kids, it's kind of the other way around. Like they really need that engagement from the from the teacher or the facilitator they you, you like you need to make sure that that like the less i talk the more engaged they are which is which is something that's you know maybe different with adults like you really have to have that balance and also it, you uh, originally we were like okay how big are we going to make this cohorts you know like in rite of passage there's so many students like we have so many people here with kids is different like you really need to give them that personalized attention and they want you know their voices need to be heard so we kept the cohort small like we did 50 
15 kids. And that way, you know, we could make sure that they could all speak, they could all share, that the breakout groups were small enough so that they could really have a chance to dig into what they were doing. And it was a matter of really getting to know them prior, uh, before the course started, so that I knew already what they were interested in, kind of like their personalities and and what they were looking and, and what were their expectations of, of this. And then I worked with that in order to build up the content. Now, it's, it's interesting because I, I went from teaching in a school where I create everything and I know exactly where we're going to start and where we're going to finish and how that hour will look like. And because I'm teaching from a curriculum and then suddenly I'm here and it's like, okay, um, I need to facilitate this experience. It's 90 minutes every day, but really it's going to be depending on what the kids come up with. And then I just have to go from there. So that was really challenging for me as well, because I was like, okay, I'm I'm suddenly not in control anymore. Forces you to trust the kids more and trust that they are going to be learning and and that they will know what to do when the time comes. And I was a bit scared at first, but when but when this started, it turns out that that's exactly what happens. You know, at first they have all these questions, and you attempted to answer them, but you're like, no, let let I'm going to let them answer these questions themselves. I'm going to show them that they can figure this out. And it's really powerful how you know by the third day they wouldn't even ask yeah. me anymore. They were like, okay, she's not going to answer my question, so I'm just going to go ahead and figure this out. Um, and then they start just you know, they become more loose and they become, they, they can actually like start doing their things on their own. And I'm just kind of like there helping out and exploring and pointing things out with them. But, but it's, it's, it's very different. And, and I think that it worked really well because it was a small cohort. The kids were really engaged because we were doing things that they wanted to do. And they were, you know, they had that chance to explore. I was telling them, you know, your work matters. Your work is important. You're creating something incredible. Go ahead. And, and that's what happened. You know, by the end, they were so proud of the things that they had done and and they had really like ownership over over their final product so it was it was very different from working with adults very different because you kind of have to like like empower them in a way because they do need more of you you know they do need that motivation and and to, and, and and they kind of want to know if they're doing things right if they're not so so yeah it's it's pretty different in that sense yeah and i think that mindset mindset shift is such a critical one because you know having worked briefly in the education space myself i think one of the biggest learnings that i had was just the amount of thought and amount of structure rigor that goes into the curriculum it's really good in the sense that you know it does set a minimum quality bar which is great and i think is important Mm -hmm. for scalability the Mm -hmm. downside to that is that you almost have not almost you definitely don't have any flexibility right Mm -hmm. And, and so it's so much harder to actually deviate from the norm and have 30 different anomalies versus one or two anomalies in a given classroom, right? which is essentially the way, you know, in your case, 15 different anomalies versus perhaps one, right? If the law of averages were to play out. And that's such a shift because normally teachers are used to preparing, planning out a very detailed outline and mm-hmm. presenting that in class, kind of going through the routine. Whereas now you're, you're essentially at the whims of your students. And obviously that can lead to a lot of great outcomes, but you need to be open to a lot of different outcomes. You can't just limit yourself to get, getting a exceed expectation, meeting expectation, or, you know, below expectation type of standard for a very specific subject. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Curious to go deeper on some of the stories from the pilot that you just ran? Like what kind of transformation have you seen with students? Because I think that will help the audience really 
understand the type of transformations that can happen in a few weeks, really. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that what the kids were most impressed by the end when we were reflecting on that last day was that they were like, wow, I don't need to go to school and I don't need like a teacher telling me what to do in order to learn. I feel like that to me was the most powerful thing when they were saying these things the last day. I was like, yes, that's exactly what I want them to see. Because the thing about school is that the way that it's been structured and the way that we've been doing things, kids feel, we convince them actually that that you know they have to learn and that learn you know learning is forced and and it's something that they have to do no matter what and it's related to school and only school so they really have a hard time seeing the value of learning or even like seeing that you know education is not something that happens to them but something that you know it's theirs to do whatever they want to do in the future you know whether it is build a computer or design a wedding dress or become an author like there's so many ways different avenues that they can go with their education and that's exactly what i want for them to realize through this camp or through whatever it is that we end up doing it's a matter of them learning how to learn and and seeing the power of of learning and the things that they can accomplish when they take charge of their own learning also we we had to kind of like unpack the things that they were learning as as they were making because they were curious like okay if we wanted to learn this this way forever like what about all the subjects in school like what about all the things that we need to learn in school like we're not learning i'm like well if you think about it like when you when kids are working on a project or or solving a problem this requires a lot of skills that are taught in school the thing is the way that they're taught in school is more of a standard way um and here they're just doing it implicitly for so for example it requires like planning research gathering right because they have to figure out more about their problems time management yeah. information synthesizing they need to work in teams they need to think creatively and try things and try them again and and these are things that that you know they're learning through a project which is pretty powerful and then the other thing that was also incredible was this notion that in school like in school this idea of success and failure it's like okay success is if you are doing things right and if you get things correct and failure is if you make mistakes right if you try something and it doesn't work then you fail yeah. so kids come into summer camp like thinking okay i'm going to be trying this i'm going to be creating a project but what if it doesn't work i failed and i'm like actually We're going to kind of shift that thinking here. You are being successful if you're trying things out constantly and they're not working and you're figuring out why they're not working and then trying again and then coming up with something that actually works. But in order to come up with something that works, you have to fail before. So, seeing success as failing first in order to get to success. And that's like very different from them. And then seeing failure as I'm like, well, If you are able to get to where you want it without making one mistake or without failing once then that means that you know you're not pushing yourself enough you you're not getting out of your comfort zone like there's definitely more than can be done so failing here it's considered success and success is considered failure i don't know if that makes sense but it's kind of like shifting that that mindset and and this is something that i wish more people did in schools and and kids were more exposed to this because it's the reality like we fear making mistakes so much because they are stigmatized in school so here i want to make sure that they know that it's part of the learning process and that you know they need to fail in order to get to that final product so that it looks like or works the way that they want and that's also something really different and 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 when we were reflecting that last day the kids were just wow this is so different from school you know they had never thought about it this way totally i think the empowerment that you speak to is huge because nowadays 
most kids have the tools to learn on their own, to really try out whatever they do want to try out. And so it's really quite easy for them once they get that sense of empowerment see some success around doing it on their own, then it's really up to them, right? And it's really up up to the surrounding ecosystem to push them or like just gear them towards learning on their own, right? Mm -hmm. For me, that was my parents, right? My parents did a great job of learning on their own for themselves. And that really pushed me to learn on my own for myself, Mm -hmm. right? And, And I think having that support system is huge. The second piece that I'd say or that that I found interesting was around how kids are able to, you know, explore the different options, right? So like I think you made a great point around success and failure. I think the distinction is really between immediate success and immediate failure. I think the idea of being successful or the desire to be successful is great. It's one of the things I do appreciate from students, right? Whenever I have worked with students or even hired students as interns is I know I can give a project. And even if they're not capable of doing it right away, they're likely going to succeed at it if I give them nothing else to do. Mm -hmm. And it's this whole idea of making sure that immediate failure is celebrated, but Mm long-term success is also the goal, right? I think Mm -hmm. the the biggest mistake is immediate success, Mm -hmm. to your point. And I think that's the distinction that people need to make because a lot of times we look at the short-term results and move on to the next subject. But mm-hmm. to actually gauge for true retention, you need to like be able to see the longer-term effects of your teaching, right? And I think that that to me is the really important part. But going back to my earlier point, like how, how do you think about a child's support system? Obviously, not everyone's the same and everyone has different resources. What are some quick and easy ways for parents or adults or guardians uh, to get their children to be more geared towards this whole new framework of teaching? I think it starts by the parents changing their own mindset, right? Realizing that learning doesn't only happen in school. In fact, you know, there's a lot of research, like research and supporting evidence that that meaningful and real learning and genuine learning happens mostly outside of school when kids are relaxed, when kids don't have all these pressures that they have in school or these deadlines, when kids are have time to explore the things that they're curious about that they like to create and, you know, build different things like that's really when real learning is going on. So Parents can start by by realizing that and giving as much importance. Um, parents can actually start transmitting that message that their work is important and that they should like they they should use their time outside of school to explore this other side that they don't have a chance to explore in school. So that's one thing, you know, changing that mindset and then kind of like imparting that mindset on their kids. And then, but also like, like, you know, what I'm doing in summer camp and what David and I are doing is creating those conditions for invention. So if kids are not not having the opportunity to do this in school, parents can try this at home. You know, you can have some time and I'm actually creating an email series that's going to be for free where if people subscribe, I'll share the tips so that parents can do this at home of helping their kids become producers by creating these conditions of invention like we're doing in summer camp at home so that kids can start to be in charge of their learning at least when they leave school, right? The more we give them this space to create and build and fail and try again and and feed their curiosity, the better prepared they're going to be when they graduate and when they need to enter this world where, you know, the ability to think and act creatively now is more important than ever, right? 
Like we don't yeah. need kids following instructions as much as we did before. So, so, you know, really give them these opportunities to kind of explore because that's what they're going to be doing eventually. So, so that, that I feel like it's, it's very important and it's simple things that you can do. And again, I'll be sending this email series soon when I have it ready. But also we were talking earlier about the importance of, of supporting the digital natives and this idea of becoming a digital citizen. So also this idea of understanding that our world is changing and, and accepting technology and in a way where they can, again, model the right use and the proper use, but, but knowing that that's something that, that kids are going to need a lot of support with because they're using technology, but they need guidance and they're not teaching this in school. So it's really the parent's job to, to help them navigate all the information that's out there and be able to classify and say what works, what doesn't work, like all these things right now is really a parent's job. And, right. and if they're able to do that and focus on that, then they're opening a channel of learning for their kids. That's huge, right? Because with the yeah. internet, they can learn anything. So focusing on on helping them become responsible digital citizens is also a huge part of parenting nowadays. And, and that's an area that I'm also exploring because I would love to support more in, in that area, considering that it's such a big need now and a, and a, and a tool that kids are going to need in order to keep learning, which is the ultimate goal here. Totally. I think the world that this generation's parents grew up in is incredibly different from the world that their kids are growing up in. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that massive shift is like you can't use the same tactics, the same methodologies that the parents have used or you know experienced in the past. And I think that mm-hmm. shift needs to be first learned by the parent before kind of mm-hmm. being taught to the children. So I think that's a really important point. Let's fast forward, let's call it 20 years from now. What do you want your students to remember? And what will they have learned? What will make them special versus other kids who may not have gone through the summer camp? Yeah, um, well, really, it's going back to this idea that I want for kids to realize that they are in charge of their learning and that they can take their learning in any direction that they want and, and they can accomplish so many things. This is something that sounds so simple, but you would be impressed if you talk to kids how like how they really feel like like the learning doesn't belong to them the learning belongs to school and it's something that's managed by another person so so if i'm able to get these kids to leave summer camp and then continue their lifelong journey appreciating and being drawn to learning and wanting to continue then then i i feel like my goal has been accomplished right it's just making them realize like how much they can accomplish with this and then also i feel like the kids that know very, very well what they're good at and what they like and what they're passionate about are are pretty much unstoppable. So this is not being emphasized in school. And I just really feel like it's a superpower. Like if you really are able to tap into that, once a kid realizes I'm so good at this and, and I'm really passionate about this, they they really don't stop. They 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 will create amazing things. So Hopefully, I can I can also make them realize that and untap that potential that they have, so that they can just continue pursuing these things after summer camp and you know on their own. That's the whole point. I feel like that's what really makes you accomplish anything that you want. Two most important things are them realizing that they're in charge of their learning, like just mm-hmm. realizing that and the things that they can accomplish when they're in charge of their learning. And and yeah. for that, you need to you, you need to you, you need to you know really let them be in charge of it. And then also all the things that they can accomplish if if they're able to tap into their interests and the things that they're passionate about and what they're good at. Like that's something that again 
not really emphasize in school. And, and when you really, really like let the kid experience that and, and, and dig into that, they are unstoppable. The things that they can create are just incredible. Right. Yeah, completely agree. And I think that's a great point to kind of wrap things up where I think, you know, really interested to see kind of where the summer camp goes, where it kind of evolves. Also looking forward to that email series and happy to share that as well with the audience once it's ready. Because I think that will be an incredible resource for a lot of adults, a lot of parents, essentially anyone who has or knows children who are kind of stuck at home, not knowing what to do for the summer. So I think it'll be an incredible resource and really looking forward to sharing that. And is there any other thoughts that you want to share before wrapping up? No, Sudan, thank you so much for for having me. Um, This has been a great conversation, thinking through all these things. Awesome. Yeah, and look forward to having many more conversations as well. Anyone who wants to follow Anna's journey can check her out on Twitter, her personal website, or newsletter. And I will be sharing that on my newsletter as well. So look forward to continuing the conversation. Best of luck with the summer camp coming up soon. Thank you so much, Sudan. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Chat soon. Bye.